now five deaths reported in the United States, and the number of serious respiratory illnesses suspected of being linked to vaping has more than doubled. The CDC does not know the cause. The link that's common to the cases appears to be that they were all using electronic cigarettes. So my roommates both vaped, and I went and bought one that day because I was like, this is so cool. We were told that it was harmless. I'm sure you've all heard about the E-Valley epidemic, and that's e-cigarette or vaping product use-associated lung injury, which obviously sounds much more beautifully named E-Valley. You might have heard it by its other names, simply Valley or vaping-associated lung injury, or maybe even VAPI, vaping-associated pulmonary injury. Recent data we have from the CDC shows that there's been 2,290 reported cases of E-Valley. Cases have been reported in 49 states, and the only state not reporting the case yet is Alaska. So there's been 47 confirmed deaths related to E-Valley. You know, the features of this E-Valley epidemic is reminiscent of how we started to characterize acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS, in the 1960s. Ah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Imagine Prior to World War II, you finally got your hands on the latest miracle drug, penicillin, and it's able to cure pneumonia. Your patients started dying a whole lot less. You're feeling good about life. Then, you got a patient who reminded you of your mother. Although a bit younger, she has kids of her own. She came to you very sick with double pneumonia. You put her on a new drug, full of hope she can turn around. That's when you notice the little oxygen flow meter bobbing seems a bit higher today. You glance over. Your thinking slows. Your training starts to kick in. You realize she is worse. John, wake up. We're recording. Nope, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the people didn't come here for an ARDS episode. We are talking about vaping. All I'm saying is we are in the middle of history in the making devastating lung injury, the diverse clinical features, the uncertainty. I'll give you that. It's an interesting time seeing a clinical syndrome becoming increasingly common, but still not fully characterized in terms of prognosis. The clinical uncertainty of E-Valley scares me, but what scares me the most is the sheer number of people who are vaping. The BBC estimates that in 2018, about 41 million people vape, compared to 7 million in 2011, and kids are getting into vaping, younger and younger. The literature reports that people are vaping as early as nine years old. Now, I don't know how really you study that, because kids do things and it like, doesn't get reported in the literature. Right, that's, yeah. I don't know, that's what was out how there. How many people are admitting to that? The e-cigarette market is valued at $19.3 billion with B. The success of the e-cigarette industry, in part, is due to the promises that e-cigarettes were dubbed a safer alternative to traditional cigarettes. But are they? In this episode, we're going to talk vaping, e-valley, what you should do to identify a potential case, and how you should counsel your patients who have questions about e-cigarettes. So let's take a deep breath. Hopefully not full of e-cigarette smoke. No, John. Of air. Anyway, let's take a big deep breath. We're diving in. Before we get into E-Valley, it's time we got street smart. With those glasses, there's no way that kid's street smart. I'm allowed to wear glasses and still be cultured and urban, John. With those tailored figs, there's no way that fellow's street smart. The tailored smart. figs make me look better. The figs make me feel more confident, John. All right, so none of us vape, and we're probably all not 
That's street smart. So of course, to learn more about vaping, we turn to the corner of the internet that knows all of the things, good and bad. Reddit. Yeah. So in the past like three weeks while I've been preparing for this episode, I've joined the subreddit reddit.com slash r vaping to get an idea of the basics. And I, I kid you not, there is a whole community dedicated to vaping. All the lingo had a lot to learn. But First, so wait, I ca- Jeremy, you kind of just invited everyone to figure out what your username is. It's oh, like no one's going to find rule my username. Number one of Reddit. Nope, you're never going to find out my username. But what is vaping? It's essentially the act of inhaling a vapor from a vaporizer. And I know that's really nonspecific. So being a little bit more specific with our definition, a vapor can be either a gaseous form of a liquid or it could be aerosolized particles in a sort of gaseous suspension. This is contrasted to smoking, which involves burning a substance and inhaling it. You aren't directly burning anything when you vape just heating it. So vapor is a very thick gaseous substance and has the odor of whatever flavor it has, like cotton candy. Gotta love walking through someone's gigantic cotton candy cloud. Actually, according to this uh, vaping subreddit, blowing big clouds, first of all, it's called cloud chasing, and it's kind of a social no-no. Cloud chasing, huh? Mm -hmm. Learn something new every day. I'm relevant. Now, there are a number of vaporizers out there on the market. First, we have e-cigs, And these are kind of simple, disposable devices that are pre-filled with some liquid. It sort of gives previous smokers the feel of smoking a real cigarette. Next, we have vape pens. These are reusable devices that you typically need to purchase refill cartridges for. Often, these don't even look like pens. Sometimes they look just like a thumb drive. The e-cigs and the vape pens are the most common devices you're going to see. So last, we have desktop vaporizers and vape mods. These are really for the vaporizer enthusiast who really want to control the vapor consistency, flavor, temperature, and much more. Sounds like John with his special coffee requirements. Hey, you tell me that coffee I gave you a night shift wasn't the most delicious cup you've ever had? Oh no, it definitely was. I just remember John like nerdily taking his scale and weighing the water that he pours into his French press and smelling the grounds as they flower with his little little hipster vibe in his scrubs and hey. pouring it. There's few things in life better than that. Give me a three-day-old Ethiopian bean, unwashed money. Recently excreted by a monkey in Guatemala. Now, just like the vaporizer, devices can vary. So can the substances that are actually vaporized. And there are really three big ones. We have e-liquids, which are colloquially called vape juice. And these may or may not contain nicotine. Sometimes it's literally just vegetable juice. There are dry herbs, which, let's be real, it's typically marijuana. And then we have waxes and oily concentrates, also typically marijuana, but it could be other things. Vaporizing the oily concentrates is known as dabbing. So I'm going to go ahead and out myself and say it took me an embarrassing long time after dabbing became a thing to know what they were actually talking about. Well, there's other kinds of dabbing. Like you can like dab on them, which is uh, almost like covering your mouth when you're sneezing the right way, putting your... You yeah, know what I'm saying, right? The, the can't do the move? Yeah, yeah. yeah the like yeah. Hand, hands out. I'm like dabbing right now. The, uh-huh. the hands out, elbow. What I'll put in the show notes. But that's from dabbing. Yes. That's right. from actually like oh. dabbing the... Right thing. Yeah. Really? It took me a really long time to know that. Yeah. I just found out. There you go. <laughs> we're, we're all witnessing Rachel finding yeah, out probably, what dabbing yeah. means. Yeah, probably our audience, I thought too. it was two separate things. No. Well, there you go. 
there is no real standardized formula for what can and can't go into a vape juice cartridge. Substances consistently seen include water, nicotine, propylene glycol, and vegetable glycerin. The flavoring is often what changes, and the flavoring chemicals can really be anything. So on this vaping subreddit, there's a whole thread dedicated to, quote, don't tell me what I can vape. (laughs) (laughs) So when we say that you can really vape anything, people really are vaping anything. That sounds dangerous. (laughs) Recently, some marijuana cartridges have included vitamin E acetate, a fatty substance used to carry tetrahydrocat... (laughs) 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 What the... Tetrahydrocannabinol. I did pretty good. (laughs) The active agent in marijuana. Current evidence suggests that vitamin E acetate may be one of the compounds associated with patients developing e volley Again, at the time of writing this podcast, the CDC reports about 2,209 cases of e valley in the U.S. Most of the patients who are developing e valley are quite young, with the average age being around 20. Many of the patients are male, and this is really not surprising because this matches the epidemiology of people who vape. So of the reported cases of e-valley, about 82% reported vaping a product containing THC, and nearly every patient reported vaping within seven days of symptom onset. Per the CDC report so far, the most common presenting symptoms include dyspnea, cough, chest pain, hemoptysis, fever and chills, headache, and GI symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. What I thought was interesting is the CDC specifically comments that upper respiratory symptoms, so things like rhinorrhea, sneezing, congestion, haven't been a feature of E-Valley, but fever and hypoxemia are. Your chest x-ray generally shows bilateral infiltrates and CT demonstrates ground glass opacities. Though other radiographic findings, including pneumothorax, pneumometastinum, pleural effusions, and tree and bud opacities are also possible. Some common lab abnormalities seen include elevated white count, usually with a neutrophilic predominance, an elevated CRP and ESR, and only a mildly elevated procalcitonin. For the cases that underwent bronchoscopy in the reported written cases to the CDC, common findings often included high neutrophils when uh, you sent cytology, or if you performed a special stain, you might see lipid-laden macrophages, which, to be honest, it's the first time that I've ever seen that, ever. Uh, So it's not a commonly performed stain. So what's causing all these symptoms? No idea. Jer, this is the one time we're actually asking for the pathophysiology. Yeah, I got nothing. Man, you really don't miss a good thing until it's gone. Well, maybe I have something. I do have something. Okay, listen up. Researchers don't know the exact cause, but the current theory is that most cases of E-Valley are due to something called lipoid pneumonia. And this is essentially, uh, as a classification and not just related to E-Valley, lipoid pneumonia is when endogenous, or in the case of E-Valley, exogenous fats enter the bronchial tree. When those fats enter the bronchial tree, they're ingested by macrophages, and this sets off a huge inflammatory cascade, leading to this diffuse pneumonitis. The exogenous fats are believed to be related to that vitamin E acetate used to carry THC in marijuana vape products. Data from the CDC shows a giant spike in cases in June of 2019, which was the same time that vitamin E acetate entered the market. Cracking the case. Remember, 82% of patients developing E-Valley reported vaping marijuana, and of the cases that underwent bronchoscopy, we did see that lipid-laden macrophage finding. So that explanation is awesome, but it's incomplete. 
One, because there's so many chemicals used in vape products. The reality is that several of these agents are likely contributing to pneumonitis and e-valley. Don't tell me what I can vape. And two, there are several different e-valley phenotypes that have been identified. There's the lipoid pneumonia phenotype, which is the most common. There's an organizing pneumonia phenotype and an eosinophilic pneumonia phenotype. The difference between these phenotypes are primarily radiologic. So rather than describing them on the podcast, we'll include images and information in the show notes. We've talked some about vaping. We've talked about the presentation of E-Valley, but we haven't really discussed a solid strategy or approach to diagnosing a patient with this lung injury. Let's talk about the criteria outlined by the CDC for its diagnosis. So the CDC splits up surveillance definitions into confirmed cases and probable cases. Confirmed cases include the following criteria. Vaping or dabbing 90 days before symptom onset. Pulmonary infiltrates. The laterality is not specified, so it could be unilateral or bilateral. Absence of pulmonary infection on initial workup and no alternative plausible diagnoses like cardiac, rheumatologic, or neoplastic processes. Probable cases include similar criteria. People still have been vaping or dabbing 90 days before symptom onset and before pulmonary infiltrates show up. They still have no alternative plausible diagnosis, but here, pulmonary infection is identified on the initial workup, with the caveat being that the clinical team does not think that the pulmonary infection is the sole cause of the patient's symptoms. So just to summarize these two things, every case of E-Valley includes a vaping history, pulmonary infiltrates, and no alternative diagnosis. The CDC splits everything up into probable cases and confirmed cases, and the difference between these two is simply the presence or absence of pulmonary infection, respectively, with the sort of caveat that if you have a probable diagnosis, so a patient who has both features of E-Valley, but also an infection on the initial workup, the clinical team has to not think that the infection is the sole reason that the patient is so sick. So what's our approach to patients presenting with a possible E-Valley? So the first thing we have to harp on is take a good history. It's probably ingrained in most of us to ask about smoking, but nowadays we need to be asking about vaping as well. I started talking about this with my PA students and making sure they ask about regular tobacco smoke and vaping. There's just so many things to smoke nowadays. Like you can't just ask if you smoke or if you previously smoked. You got to like, I don't smoke, but I vape. I don't vape, but I dab. I mean, really. So until we have a solid understanding of the disease, if a patient endorses a vaping or dabbing history, we have to get specific and make sure we ask questions like, number one, what substance are you vaping? Is it nicotine, nicotine-free? Is it marijuana? Is it liquid, dry herb? Are you dabbing? And are you adding any of your own ingredients? Second, we need to figure out where are they buying their cartridges? Getting it from retailers is probably safer than those bought from friends or off the street. None of the substances are cleared by the FDA, so there's technically no safety standard. Even better, ask them if they have their vaporizer and cartridges on them, or if a family member or friend can bring them in. Next up, after you take your history, do a sort of standard pneumonia workup. So I'm talking about things like blood and sputum cultures, urine legionella, urine strep antigen, a procalcitonin, and go ahead and get that influenza PCR. You may want to consider also sending HIV serologies, ESR, and CRP. And if your center has it, consider sending out a viral panel as well. Remember, the goal is to rule out infection and other etiologies of pneumonitis. So that is what the workup is focused on. 
Now, what about bronchoscopy? If a common feature is lipoid pneumonia with lipid-laden macrophages, should we be routinely performing a bronch and staining for oils? So we're in a data-free zone here. Any recommendation on bronchoscopy is purely based on expert opinion. Practice in our group has varied, but many of our pulmonary critical care docs are not quick to pull the trigger on bronchoscopy. Reason being is whether the patient's lung injury is related to vaping or some other kind of pneumonitis, the treatment is likely going to be supportive care, plus or minus steroids. Yeah, many times going out of your way to perform a bronchoscopy on a patient who's tenuous, not intubated, who has pneumonitis, you might go ahead and worsen their respiratory failure to the point where they do require intubation. So generally, our group likes to reserve bronchoscopy for patients who are already intubated or patients who have clinical features necessitating bronchoscopy, such as those who are immunocompromised, have hemoptysis, have mucus plugging, or dense lobar pneumonia. The management, at least with our current evidence base, is relatively uninspiring. Are you ready? Literally on the edge of my seat. The treatment is... Antibiotics, supplemental oxygen, and steroids. The supplemental oxygen piece and supportive care piece, the severity of this e-valley illness varies. Some patients need simple oxygen support like nasal cannula, high-flow BiPAP, Some need intubation and ECMO and CRRT and all these kinds of things depending on their associated conditions. So, of course, it's just supportive care and maybe steroids and maybe antibiotics. So like every medical ICU therapy for every medical ICU diagnosis ever? Pretty much. How much steroids do we give again? It's one milligram per kilogram per day, and that's of solumedrol. This is pretty nonspecific, though. How do we differentiate the patients who have isolated pneumonia and maybe ARDS from the patients who have E-Valley? We don't. In the early stages of presentation, we're treating empirically for both pneumonia that may or may not be severe with or without ARDS and E-Valley. We recognize that features of both of these conditions kind of overlap. Remember, we're still learning about E-Valley. And just like in the early phases of ARDS, the goal needs to be identifying and reporting cases, beginning empiric therapy, taking note of the outcome, and generating more sophisticated treatment protocols as we further characterize the disease. On that note, how should we be reporting these conditions? It's pretty straightforward, actually. The CDC recommends that healthcare providers report all confirmed or probable cases of E-Valley to their local state health department. For our listeners out there, we'll include a link to all 50 states' health departments in the show notes for you to access. So for those of us out there taking care of patients who are actively vaping, what are we supposed to tell them? Remember, many of these patients switched from smoking cigarettes to vaping e-cigarettes because they were told it was less harmful. That recommendation hasn't changed. The CDC still recommends that patients who have switched to e-cigarettes from smoking should not go back to smoking. Stick with vaping. Or even better, use one of the FDA-approved nicotine replacement therapies like the patch, gum, inhalers, or nasal sprays. Not an exhaustive list, but a good start. So vaping is still considered less harmful in the long term than traditional cigarettes. With some caveats that we'll get into, yes. For individuals who have not yet picked up vaping, this goes without saying, but you shouldn't start. And here's the major recommendation that vapors out there need to hear. Do not use any vaping or dabbing products containing THC, even if they have been validated not to have the vitamin E acetate. Until we have more info, it's just best to stay away. Say no to marijuana, dabbing, and vaping. Okay, that, that just means, in general, we're being realistic here. Stick with nicotine or nicotine-free vaping products only. Nothing with THC in it. 
To that end, make sure you are purchasing vaping cartridges from a manufacturer, as in a branded version that you might purchase from a chain store or online, but not off the street from a friend, back alley. And definitely, even though nobody can tell you what to vape, please don't add or modify any substances in your vaping cartridges either. For the vapors out there, this is not medical advice from us. But the CDC recommends that you monitor your own symptoms. And don't be afraid to get evaluated if you experience any of the symptoms mentioned earlier. And for the providers out there, find out what resources your hospital or clinic has for smoking cessation so you can point your patients in the right direction. We're in the investigative and discovery phases of E-Valley or E-Cigarette and Vaping Product Use Associated Lung Injury. Yeah, it's easier just to say E-Valley. Yep. Also known as just Valley or Vapey. You really got to pick one of these three, though feel like diagnostic criteria include a history of vaping in the past 90 days infiltrates no alternative plausible diagnosis and remember we have confirmed cases which have no infection in the initial workup improbable cases which have an infection in the initial workup but the clinicians do not believe this is the sole cause of the patient's presentation don't forget to incorporate questions on vaping in your routine history for really probably all your patients So make sure you ask questions about if the patient says they vape, what the patient vaporizes, where they get it, how much of it they vape, and if they add anything else into the mix. When working up these patients, perform your classic pneumonia workup, but add in an ESR, CRP, HIV, and maybe also a viral panel. Treatment is pretty uninspiring thus far. Steroids, supplemental oxygen, and antibiotics. Narrow your antibiotics accordingly. And don't forget to report cases to your local health department. Again, we'll include links to all of those, or you can just Google them in our show notes. So from a counseling standpoint, here's my big summary. Don't start vaping. Don't switch back to smoking cigarettes if you're already vaping. Don't buy your cartridges from your Uncle Joe who lives in an alley behind the 7-Eleven. I just love Uncle Joe. He's... He's, he can find anything, honestly. Well, there you have it. There's our E-Valley. This is history in the making, folks. So if you see a patient who you think has E-Valley, go ahead and report that to your local CDC. And who knows, maybe in the next couple of years, we'll have a better characterized illness and maybe a better treatment strategy than steroids, antibiotics, and oxygen. Or maybe that's all it will ever be. Well, until next time, keep breathing, keep streaming, keep reading, and just don't talk to Uncle Joe.